Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We've got a fun show for you today and proof that we always read your emails and a lot of you know that we always respond as well. Whether you text us, whether you email us, we're always doing our best to be of service to you. Um, so we received or been receiving quite a few emails lately and the, the gist of the emails have been, and I, I wrote this as the title of today's podcast, Tim and Julie, please help. My deals are blowing up and I need help now. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really something we've been seeing more and more of and we're going to walk you through, actually, it's funny, Julie and I created this addendum back when we were selling real estate, um, and because we obviously were, we've never sold real estate in a hot seller's market. Julie and I only sold real estate in what would be called a normal market or, frankly, a buyer's market. And in those markets where, and again, none, many of you have never sold in a normal market, let alone a buyer's market, stay tuned. It'll be coming your way soon. But that aside, we had to develop this addendum because what we experienced where Julie and I were uh, focused on being listing agents, as we teach all of you guys to do. And so what we were discovering was a lot of the buyer's agents that we were co-oping with who were submitting offers we did not know how they, their level of competency, let's say, was very low. And so we had to create this ultimate addendum to make it so that our deals did not uh, blow up, so that we did not go through the effort of putting something in contract, um, because it was never easy to do when Julie and I sold real estate. It was always, uh, very rarely did you have something that just sold itself. You know, it was a combination of just doing all the things we're going to talk about on today's podcast and probably tomorrow's as well. So make sure you take really good notes on this because if you're a listing agent, especially if you're a listing agent, you need to be doing exactly what we tell you to do in today's podcast, which is uh, we refer to this as the ultimate addendum. Now, Premier Coaching Clients, the actual ultimate addendum is on uh, Harris Learning. So if you want to just download this and have your broker review it, mo make sure you modify it so it's state compliant, you know, all the normal disclaimers, but make sure you do that and have somebody review it or, you know, whatever, um, and then use it. And again, the ultimate addendum is designed to make it so that you, the probability of having deals blow up on you after you get them in contract, especially in the listing side, goes to virtually zero. Hey, Julie, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. It's always good to share this with you. And this is a hot topic. This is, you know, it's exactly like you said, the combination of their emails. Help, SOS, you know, this is, there are still too many problems with deals. And it seems like you don't know what they're going to be until they blow up on you. And so when I put this together, I made it as universal as possible and all-encompassing as possible so that anybody in any price range in any market on the buyer or seller side can use this. So there's a lot to it, but of course they can modify it and, and run it up the flagpole with their broker and things of that nature. But the ultimate addendum is designed to save your deals before they blow up. Wouldn't that be awesome? I used to have the mantra, once it's in contract, it will close, so help me God, <laughs> you know, That's right. because you had so much in it. If it's a listing, you might have had to compete to get it. Maybe you spent some marketing dollars to get it. 
you know, you had to preview property, you did your CMA, you've got your pre-listing package, then you go and you present, you've got to close, you've got to follow up, you've got to price it right, you've got to talk to the seller till it sells, then you have to negotiate, and hopefully, you know, it'll actually close. Because then it's well, up to I mean, the rest our, our, our whole other level. Yeah. Where we sold real estate, when we sold real estate, the average days in the market was measured in months. And a lot of our business, personal business, was picking up other people's expireds. And so we had um, – you often were dealing with sellers who were very motivated, which was great, uh, but the market was – you know, for every one buyer in some of these markets we sold real estate in, there was probably five sellers. So <laughs> you know, if you want to know how you get good at your scripts, if you want to get know, know how you get good at present, uh, presenting and you know, negotiating all the things that are necessary to be successful in this market, you sell in a real estate market like that. This is the reason that um, it's very fascinating. Agents who have these big commission checks, this is just a general statement, but agents who have these big – they have big sale prices, big commission checks, um, and they don't sell very many houses. They don't have really a – if you were to put one of those up, one of those agents up against somebody from the Midwest – who has to sell 100 houses a year just to have a nice lifestyle, um, you know, whereas in, say, for example, an expensive market, they have to sell like six to have the similar lifestyle because of the commission checks. Well, the agent who is in the Midwest has so much better skill set because the Midwest, for the most part, and arguably maybe the last three years it's been slightly different than what I'm about to say, but those markets are never hot. They're always basically a neutral market. Conversations about appreciation never happened where Julie and I sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio. You did not have a conversation with a seller about what the house will appreciate to because it didn't. The houses did not appreciate. You bought and sold real estate, and you still do in a lot of the country, because people need a place to live, not because it's supposed to be seen as a financial instrument, which kind of boggles the brain for all of our friends on the coast. But there is a fact, Jack, that that I just told you. In in that situation, people would still move when they weren't making a killing on their house every time. Oh, yeah. They moved for schools and bedrooms and neighborhoods. Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, that's so people, the reason that people will uh, always move, no matter what the economy's doing, or no matter what interest rates are doing, or no matter who's the president, or no matter, no matter, is because people have to move in and out of housing because their life changes. And that never changes. So those of you who think that the only way that the markets will stay buoyant and you'll be able to stay in business is because, you know, interest rates are low and because, um, you know, people can count on appreciation. In other words, you think the greed factor is the thing that gets the, you know, that's what the motivational factor is uh, for people to buy and sell. That is part of it for sure. But for the most part, no matter what's going on, you're still going to have um, people who need your help selling their homes because that's just the nature of real estate. That's the reason that selling real estate is one of the greatest industries to be in. Because your entire life, and arguably after you're dead, you're going to need to place where you're going to be housed. Okay, so you're either you know if you're renting, if you're buying, if you're selling, and everyone is in some state of flux when it comes to housing. You're it does not matter. You could be in your dream home right now, but six months later. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm sick of cleaning 14 bathrooms, and I want to, you know, whatever it is. Or you might have finally moved to your perfect place by the beach in California, and you could see the dolphins every morning. Oh, but no one told you that there's, you know, people show up every weekend on the beach and basically have pot parties and, you know, make tons of noise, and you have no privacy. Okay? I mean, so what I'm trying to explain to you is that real estate is something that everyone always needs to be in and out of, and the real estate market is always going to have a enormous demand 
for buying and selling real estate. That is what it is, and it won't go away ever. Um, so the point of all this is, is if you're going to focus on becoming a listing agent, which all of you should, you need to make sure you take great notes about this ultimate addendum we're doing today. Now, a lot of you have been requesting a free coaching call, and I know we've been backlogged for the past three days, but I know we have openings today and we have tomorrow. So if you'd like a free coaching call, and if you'd like to grab our free books, one of the ones, well, frankly, the one that you need to download the fastest is the Real Estate Treasure Map. We've made it super simple for you to grab hold of this information. All you've got to do, and this is, I'm telling you, it's simple as can possibly be. Text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. And when you do, you're going to be uh, given the opportunity to schedule a coaching call with one of our new member coaches, and you're also going to be given links to download the free book. So text the word Harris to 31996. All right, Julie, we, you have a lot of ground to cover. I'll try to keep my app shut. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Good luck, right? let's start. Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. Okay, so this is called the ultimate addendum because, again, the point is for you to use it when you're negotiating up front, not at the time of inspections, not down the road, not during anything other than up front, so that you can anticipate and take care of the things that kill deals. So what are the things that cause a deal to catch fire a few days or a few hours prior to closing? This is something not every listener, and to, to your point, the agents that have really huge average sale prices where they don't do that many deals per year might not have come across some of this yet. The right. agents and brokers who are, say, in the Midwest and are cranking out 100, 200 deals a year, they've seen pretty much everything. They're going to be nodding their heads yes and go, oh, yeah, I had that one happen. So just because you haven't heard of or experienced these things, does not mean that they do not occur. Our job is to help catch you before it happens to you. So, and again, Premier Coaching clients, you guys have this already um, set out in front of you. You can modify it. I set it up as a uh, modifiable PDF for them. So, all right, what are the things that cause a deal to come unglued prior to closing? What if there was a way to get in front of those problems before, it's just a few hours before closing. So, here's when you typically hear this. Now that we're in underwriting, so not everybody knows what underwriting is. We're going to talk about top 10 things that make you crazy when you thought you were about to have a closing so that we can set the stage for why you want to do something about this. So this is a little bit of maybe shock and awe for some of them. Like that can happen. <laughs> and for others of them, they're going to be, oh, yeah, that happened to me last week. Point number one. The buyer hasn't even applied for the loan yet, so no one knows a thing about them until you're halfway through inspections. Hmm, that's because nobody really checked their boilerplate lender letter to know that they hadn't actually applied. They just had a little phone call with whoever they found online. So make sure when you're accepting contracts that you know what the skinny is with the inspection. We'll, we'll drill down a little bit more on this. I'll just go through these fairly quickly. Number two, the buyer had great credit in ratios when they applied, but you find out three days prior to closing that they just bought a new boat, new car, rental property, which now has screwed up their credit and ratios. Problem number three, the buyer hasn't disclosed that they are actually contingent on home sale. They're presenting as contingent on financing. Ah, this is a sneaky move. Some of our more experienced agents do this and have this done to them particularly in a seller's market where you probably can't get away with contingent on home sale. 
well, what if you're not contingent on home sale, but you are contingent on financing, but your financing is coming from the equity of your old home, which you're praying actually closes and might not actually be in contract? Am I overselling this to them? These are no, complicated issues. Okay. Yeah, stay drilled down. So, yeah, so number four, the buyer's down payment hasn't been verified. Is it coming from gift money, a divorce or insurance settlement, winning the lotto, unseasoned funds? I remember one of our first cash deals died. I couldn't believe it died because I thought, how could a cash deal die? I come to find out it was contingent on a divorce settlement that hadn't gone down the pipe at the same rate as our uh, closing dates were. So it could be down payment or even all cash. Is it actually verified? Problem number five, the buyer's lender has only done a preliminary or quote soft credit check and in underwriting it turns out that they have credit issues to fix causing delays or the deal to tank. Problem number six, buyer is so strapped for their down payment that going over appraised value like their contract calls for will unravel your deal. We see this a lot out west in the California markets where they're getting bid up and over the uh, list price and some of the vacation markets that have low inventory. So if you wanna buy the house, you've gotta go over and then you're guaranteeing the difference between the appraised value and the contract price. And I've seen a lot of times where the agent doesn't actually explain what that really means to the buyer. And the buyer is so geeked up to actually win the bidding war that they don't know that means they're gonna be out of pocket on that pot of cash. So that's a problem. Number seven, the buyer's employment hasn't been verified at the time they wrote the offer and got themselves in contract. They're underemployed, unemployed, self-employed, or otherwise challenging to get approved. Too, job, too short of a job history, unrelated job history, all of these employment things can turn up in underwriting and bite you or the deal. Problem number eight, and there's only 11, so bear with me. Problem number eight, they're not actually a U.S. citizen or have other documentation issues. I'm hearing this a lot from our New York City agents lately, having to figure out um, citizenship and documentation of that nature. Different lenders require different things. Number nine, they are secretly FHA or VA, but wrote a conventional uh, contract because they knew they'd get shot down if they actually admitted to being FHA or VA, and we find out they don't have a big enough down payment to actually close conventional, which means we're back to the FHA drama and waiting. Number 10, the only way they can close is if you and or the other agent chip in for inspection or repair items, appraisal issues, etc. Not that that ever happens, grizzled veterans. Okay, and then number 11, the buyer claims to be all cash but has not sent proof of funds. So all this spells trouble before closing and it boils down to the underwriting happening after the inspections and the appraisal in most cases. Why does that take so long? Some of you guys are baffled by this whole thing. They don't get in, okay, so remember <clears throat> that a letter of pre-approval usually has some contingencies and the loan does not actually get processed. In other words, the documentation gathered, the employment verified, the down payment verified, that does not generally happen until you are past inspection. So in most states that's after 17 days, probably plus five to seven to negotiate any inspections. So now we're about at day 25 on a 30 to 45 day closing, or at least halfway through, and then that's if everything goes smoothly. So then the lender gets to work actually processing. This is what underwriting is. You would think that they would have done that 
the second you went in contract or pending. But no, we have to wait until we get surprises before closing. So how do you get in front of this and buy yourself more time to fix any issues? Remember, the lender waits that long because they know there's a fair chance that the inspections are going to kill the deal. So why would they spend their time processing or paying their processor to do the deal when it could die on day 17? They're never going to do it unless you use the ultimate addendum. So here's the mission. I want you guys to really pay attention to this. This is the whole point. Force the buyer's lender, whether it's your buyer or another agent's buyer, to get an approval letter well before the week of closing, not days or hours before, and not demanding an extension. We're going to force them to get to work faster. So some things to consider, and then we'll kind of get into this. I think this will probably be a two- episode podcast because there's so much to this. Things to consider. Again, you can modify this a bit. Cultural practices. If you live in a market where 90% of your deals are cash, then modify this as necessary. If you're in a military market, a farm and ranch market, all condos, etc., modify based on your own closing challenges, like getting HOA docs, for example. Simply make a list of everything we didn't mention and build them into your own ultimate addendum. So if you sell nothing but condos in Florida, and your biggest challenge is getting the HOA to pony up those documents early, you can build that in to force that to happen sooner. Okay, uh, Timing modifications. Just because it's supposed to take 17 days in your market to do inspections does not mean you have to take that long. Modify it back to 10 days to get the ball rolling faster if that's an issue for you. Appraisal issues. If you're selling for 10% or more over the last highest comp, you're in for a cut appraisal in most markets these days. Talk to your clients before it happens about what they'll do if it happens. Actually have that money conversation. All right, moving on to how to use the ultimate addendum. You can either use it as an addendum upon acceptance or as a counteroffer depending on your negotiations. When to use it. Definitely when you're the listing agent. Every time you send over to the buyer's agent, even if they have a strong financing letter, letter, exception is all cash deals where you ask for proof of funds instead of all the financing things that we're going to talk about. So then we have suggested wording. Now remember, you have to call this addendum A. Uh, in some states, they're really finicky about whether you call it as an addendum or an attachment. But in all cases, the other agent, whether it's a buyer's agent or a listing agent, is required to present all addendums and attachments. So do not even think you're going to try this in text or voicemail to skip the step of actually doing the document. It's not going to fly. It has to be an addendum. So here's some suggestions for you for this essentially counteroffer addendum. Okay? We're not talking about countering them in um, closing date or money. We're just tightening up the loan process. So the lender's letter of preapproval to be received within 10 business days. So we're giving them a little bit longer, 10 business days, because we're going to ask them to do a lot of stuff here. The lender's letter of preapproval has to be received within 10 business days of contract acceptance, specifically verifying the following. Specifically verifying the following. Not making it a stipulation. Remember, we gave them 10 business days to do this in. Okay, A, buyer's down payment is adequate for the purchase of this home at contract price, has been verified, and is acceptable to the lender. 
So why am I being so persnickety here? Look at what this says. The buyer's down payment is adequate for the purchase of this home. Maybe you've got a letter of pre-approval from six months ago, and it doesn't say what they're pre-approved up to. That was based on them being pre-approved at 240000 but they're in contract at 300000 So it's got to be adequate for the purchase price of this home at this price. And it's been verified and is acceptable to the lender. That's something that normally waits until underwriting. Point number B, again, this is how to word your counteroffer to get a real lender's uh, decision within 10 business days. The buyer's employment and employment history have been verified and are adequate for the purchase of this home at contract price. That avoids the whole, they've switched two jobs too many times or whatever. Number, uh, letter C, buyer's credit has been checked with all three reporting bureaus and is adequate for the purchase of this home at contract price with verified down payment amount. So sometimes lenders will say, well, you know, since their credit isn't what we thought it was, now that we've actually drilled down and pulled from all three credit bureaus, now we're going to make them put down a higher down payment. You guys understand how that works. That usually doesn't happen until, you know, about three days before closing. So we're going to say that both credit and employment work together and are adequate. And then point number D, buyer is not contingent on the sale of any property, real estate, or otherwise. We're actually having them say it. And I'm going to take a breath here, Tim. Anything you want to add? Because this is a little bit analytical. I was uh, keeping my mouth shut so that you didn't pull me into the analytical explanations of things because that's not my thing. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. You caught your breath now. Can you get back to it? (laughs) Can I cough and buy some time? Okay. Okay, uh, there you go. Here's here's another one. E, buyer's ratios are verified and adequate for the purchase of subject property at contract price with down payment, employment, and credit in alignment. So we're gradually drilling down even further. The ratios are verified. All right. And note to self, buyer's agents, it is a very smart move for you to advise, and you might even do this in writing, your buyer clients that now we're in contract and the lender is scrutinizing your uh, documentation, please don't even go out and get a new cell phone contract. Do not do anything that messes with your credit or your ratios, okay? So, for example, going out and getting a new lease on a car with a, say, $700 payment. If you're on the edge on anything else, maybe you don't have a very big down payment, maybe you have a great down payment but your employment history isn't great, and you go screwing around with your ratios, you may be required to put down more money, or you might not get your loan at all. So don't go financing anything until after you close. That includes going to a furniture store and doing six months same as cash and filling out a credit app. Don't do it. Just wait. You can go look, but wait until you close. Okay. Point number F, the buyer's identity has been verified and is sufficient for the lender. That's easy enough. G, the buyer has been advised not to apply for new credit until closing this property. This is all in your addendum. H, buyer has disclosed any simultaneous closing requirements and the lender finds such as acceptable. And then I, buyer is not dependent upon commission kickbacks or other contributions in order to execute this contract. That would be nice to have built in, wouldn't it? Okay, now we have some optional things for you to put in. And really, you can get this put into a one-page addendum. I know it sounds like a lot of stuff's going on here, but you can whittle it into a one-page addendum. So here's some options. Depends on what, your, what side you're on and what the buyer is willing to do. 
So note that many of you listening have market-specific uh, board-approved appraisal forms, home sale contingency forms, escalation addendums that you may need to be using. So always defer to your board promulgated forms to make sure that you're covered. So here's your options. A, should appraisal become an issue, buyer and seller shall split the difference up to blank amount of dollars. So that's to get in front of the appraisal issue up front. B, should the appraisal become an issue, buyer shall agree to pay up to but not over X percent of appraised value. So you can cap it that way. C, should buyer be in a competitive situation, buyer is willing to escalate up to X percent of list price or over list price, not to exceed blank amount of dollars. Another option would be D, contingent on the sale of buyer's home. Okay, so some of you guys see this coming up in our premier coaching calls. This is evidence of a changing market, guys. How do you deal with a home sale contingency if you're going to try and get that accepted? Contingent on the sale of buyer's home, however, seller shall continue to market the home. Should the seller receive a non-contingent offer, buyer shall be given 72 hours to remove the home sale contingency and proceed to close decide to become a backup offer or cancel the contract in writing. That is like speaking Swahili to some of you guys because you've been in such a hot market for so long, some of you for almost a decade, that you don't even have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so this is one of the reasons we have coaching. Um, note to self, consider what happens to the buyer's earnest money deposit funds in any of these situations. It varies greatly from market to market and you'll need to check with your broker or legal counsel for cultural expectations in your marketplace. Does the earnest money automatically default to the seller or does it stay in escrow or does it automatically go back to the buyer? You may have to look at that and write in some stipulations. Some of you, it's already written into your actual contracts. If you read the fine print, what happens to earnest money in different situations? So be careful with that. Um, and that, by some miracle, is the end of the Ultimate Addendum podcast. Back to you, Tim. I have to get your premiere short. Well, see, I knew you could do it, but here's the here, <sighs> there's a couple of things that you blazed through that I think are worth going yeah. back and just drilling down a little bit. Now, I'll tell you the one in particular. There were two, actually. One was the um, – uh, this is where we got tricked up on this once, on the listing side of things, only once. But you might get an offer, and the seller – and the buyer, rather, has a house to sell. And they don't say in their offer that it's contingent on home sale, but they do say it's contingent on financing, which is kind of accepted, right? This is the reason that Julie wrote this ultimate addendum the way she did, so we could root out if they actually had any property to sell. She said this, but I want you guys to understand that this is really a critical part of it. So um, you could get, I'm going to say this for a second time, an offer, and the offer is acceptable. You negotiate it back and forth. Everyone's happy. Thank God it's not contingent on home sale, but it is contingent on financing. That's perfectly normal. You tell your seller to sign it, contract signed, and then you find out that the deal was contingent on financing, yes, but the financing itself was contingent on the home sale. Right Now, the same could be said. It, maybe it's not contingent on a home sale. Julie forgot to mention this little fun experience we had our first year on business <laughs> 25 years ago. We lost another deal because the guy's financing was contingent on – he was a first-time buyer. He was contingent on financing, which was fine, but his financing was contingent on the sale of rugs in Iran, believe it or not. I remember um, that. So, I do. Yes. That was like one of our first five deals. I mean. 
Yeah, but that's a fair example of the lender not having actually done the job. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to save you with the ultimate addendum. So we're trying to save you from having to um, basically accept deals then later find out that they're crap. You know, the, the, the lender or the agent, for that matter, did not do a thorough enough job um, really doing a prequel on that particular buyer. So that's what happens all the time. And it, a lot of the times, and this is a fact, Jack, a lot of the agents, more experienced agents working with buyers, they know how to write the contracts. So if they're contingent on home sale, you won't think to root it out because they make it contingent on financing. So all these little things that I'm telling you, tricks that I'm telling you to look out for, it's because these are designed to make it so that if you're you know, starting to get into the listing into the business, you don't end up accepting some turkey contracts. So 99% of the time when you have a deal blow up, it's because of this particular, one of these things that we cover with this ultimate addendum. Um, the other thing Julie said, and this is really important, is that when you're accepting, like, okay, here's another one. It's contingent on verification of employment. Well, that's easy enough, right? But here's what people don't understand. If someone goes from being, say, for example, a, you know, a cobbler, right, somebody who makes shoes, and then they decide to become a candlestick maker, even if their income's the same, a lot of lenders won't uh, do the loan because the nature of the employment is different. Ah, So when you're dealing with lenders, make sure that the ultimate addendum where we're asking them to verify all the financial aspects, make sure those things are actually rooted out. All these things matter, guys. Um, and there was a couple of little minutia points, but really at the end of the day, you're going to have to force the buyer, to, the buyer side, the buyer's agent and their buyer to actually uh, verify that they're real. And you're going to have to have them. The ultimate addendum is something you send back to the buyer's con a buyer side of the deal once the deal's in contract. Contracts are signed. Everybody's happy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you sign the send the addendum back with the seller's signatures, making it. And, but you want to disclose the addendum uh, that the the buyer's going to have to comply to the addendum when you actually accept the offer. What we did actually is we put it in our in the MLS. We'd actually put it in the real estate in the transaction, or I'm sorry, in the description. We would say all buyers' contracts must to comply with, um, and I forget what we called it, seller's verification addendum or whatever. So we are letting the buyers, and none of them ever read it or knew about it. But when they wanted to write an offer, they would know that they had to, they would be notified and given a copy of the addendum requirements. And some of them would comply prior to sending in the offer, whereas in other cases they were, they'd use that 10 days to get the, uh, to get their buyers to uh, comply to the ultimate addendum. And so, guys, this is something you can do that is an added step, but it will save you so much heartache on the back end of these deals. Because if you have uh, any kind of uh, – when you start building listing momentum and you have multiple deals in contract, it's so easy to let the little details slide by you, and this is what the ultimate addendum is supposed to fix. So if you guys need it, you're going to have to join Premier Coaching, and you can download it, or you can just go back and listen to every single thing Julie just said because she was, for the most part, she read probably about 80% of it. In the meantime, if you need Julie and I for anything, you can get hold of me anytime. Uh, you can actually – this is what's been working, and I like it. It's 512 758 just text me, 512-758-0206. Um, or you can email me, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. And you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. Remember, you can go back and listen to past shows anytime. Um, they're on TimAndJulieHarris.com. They're, of course, over on iTunes. Thank you, listeners, for continuing to make this the number one listen to daily podcast of the real estate industry. Make sure you pre-order our new book, Harris Rules. Um, it's a updated, revised, twice the size, literally, physically, and with content um, of the original Harris Rules. It's 
sitting for you, waiting over at Amazon. It's going to be shipping um, in less than a month. We're very excited about it. It appears through pre-orders that it's going to sell more than the first copy did, which is great. Uh, it's so exciting to run into so many of you who read the book who are thankful for having um, you know learned something from it that's been impact impactful in your business and your personal life. So make sure you grab that book. It's going to be in paperback. We um, we're not we're going to slow play the role of the audio book. The reason this is because. Our goal is to have this become the new staple go-to manual for how to be successful in real estate. And you know as well as I do, I'm definitely guilty of this, that once you buy an audio book, it just sits somewhere on your iPhone and you even forget that you've got it. Whereas if you have our big green book sitting on your desk or sitting in your bookshelf at all times, you're not going to be able to ignore it. And whenever you have a real estate challenge problem, looking for motivation, looking to become uh, uncomplacent, you can refer back to the book. That was the purpose of it. It's supposed to be your lifetime real State manual. So go to Amazon and put in Harris Rules, and you'll find the book, and then you'll be off to the races. In the meantime, if you need us for anything, uh, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>